0: Hello, and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 17 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. On each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. On today's episode, part four of this four-part series on agriculture, we are really looking at what comes next in terms of transformational change in the agri-food business. So Paul, thank you once again for leading us on this journey. We're in this position where we've gone back a number of decades and a number of years, and we've seen the journey that Saskatchewan has been on in terms of knowing your history in terms of relationship building. But what comes next?
1: This, again, we're going to draw on uh, another one of my experiences in China. And it's funny how we always profoundly... Uh, see something profound when I have those experiences. But I'm taken back to a comment, uh, uh, you know, from Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. And uh, and he said, whenever someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer, I go to the store and I ask the customers. And, you know, what a powerful line that is, is because the customers really drive things. So we learn a lot when we go and we listen to our customers and those who buy product from us and deal with us. And And if you're attentive enough you can catch a message or two in that and that's really what I want to share in today's uh, pieces this comes from a a trip that we took uh, with uh, as a Martin Charlton trip over to uh, China we were explore, exploring the possibility of some linkages with uh, communications firms in Shanghai in particular but also uh, we met up with the Saskatchewan agent at the time and uh, and you know uh, did had a chance to make a presentation on investing in saskatchewan to uh well ostensibly we were told there'd be three hundred high net worth individuals in the room when we got there. It was actually six hundred and they streamed it live and a hundred thousand people had signed up for the stream so you know. It was kind of daunting for me, I must say, because 100,000 people, well, that's by far the biggest audience I've ever spoken to, to the best of my knowledge. And, uh, uh, you know, they, there was there's considerable interest in what we do in Saskatchewan. And that really kind of made a comment to me that, you know, if the people listening to that presentation about investing in Saskatchewan were here to be the third largest city in the province. So, I, I mean, you know, it's I tend to think we, we overlook sometimes some of those relationships, but this was about three, four years ago. So before all of the current tensions between Canada and China, but here's the upshot of of one of the major conversations that, that we had while we were there. And I want to share just how I see this happening and how it's evolving on other fronts here right now. So we had a meeting with a, uh, a food, uh, packaging, processing company. Family-owned business, quite a sizable firm, but it was uh, first generation and two sons. So dad and two sons that ran this thing. And uh, dad and one of the sons were on the road that day, so we were with uh, uh, the youngest of the uh, the boys that was running the business. And we had a long conversation about you know, why do you even want to talk to us in Saskatchewan and that kind of thing? I mean, obviously your market's over in China. And he said, well, a few things. We're interested in what you do in, in Canada, and we're actually interested perhaps in investing. And I I came at it from this perspective. Now, this was the, the journalist in me asking the question, a bit cynical, is that why would you do that? I mean, historically, The world has been where we have shipped raw commodity and it is processed close to the end user to near to the consumer. China is the consumer market. You don't do the processing here uh, close to the source of supply in you know, if you're listening to this, you're from Saskatchewan or Western Canada, you'll know, here's the easiest way to describe this. I mean, how many times have we tried to build a pasta factory in Western Canada or in Saskatchewan? I mean, logically, you would say, how does it make sense to take Durham wheat off a field in Saskatchewan, send it to Italy, turn it into pasta and bring it back? I mean, why can't we do it here? And dozens of people have tried this. Many communities have tried it. They've tried it from, you know, sort of traditional pasta to noodles to you name it, and all of them. Uh, are in the, the history books as failures. They just simply couldn't make it fly. So now this young guy in China who's running a substantial enterprise is kind of saying, mm, maybe it's time. It's like the this thing could flow in the other direction. So I said, why? And he said three things. And this is probably the hallmark you know, takeaway from this conversation today. Number one, He said, as a a packager and a distributor of food products in China, I want to have more control over the supply chain. And boy was that prophetic given what's happened in the last 18 to 24 months with COVID. So he wants more control over the supply chain. And he says, I have the end user part. Now I need to work back closer to source of supply. So that means I have to go to where the production is. And in Western Canada and Saskatchewan in particular, I mean, you guys are big producers. So that has appealed to me. Number two, he said, you know how there is some Chinese food that you don't like, Uh, Yeah. And he says, well, there's some of your stuff we don't like. And what I would like to do is actually place a chef from China in the processing plant in Canada and actually produce product for the Chinese palate. So it would be very specific. It wouldn't be destined for a domestic market in Canada. It would be only a domestic market in China. And number three, I want the Made in Canada label. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? The maple leaf goes, is considered a very powerful emblem there, and it it in the Chinese mindset suggests purity, uh, environmental environmentally pristine countryside. This kind of thing—that's the the sort of notion they have in their head about us. And and he thinks that's a valuable tool. While we were in Shanghai, you find this interesting. We we went for a tour of uh, Jack Ma, the uh, uh, guy who's you know the big entrepreneur there started a a, a new chain of grocery stores called Hema. and uh, so we went into them and and went into uh, uh you know, these things are really quite remarkable this is the grocery store of the future right? and there are no tellers there's no cash there's no checkout counter everything is done on a phone app and uh, they don't even price the product you scan it and up pops up on your app here's where the product came from this is the product here's some background here's seven recipes you can do with it here's how you know what day it was packaged and here's the price i mean this is where we're headed so we went to the meat counter australia owned the meat counter canada was almost non-existent in that that space new zealand by the way had the dairy counter and all of that's fresh i mean they're flying the stuff in and so you know it's a lesson for for us here as exporters of food to Think about that. But there was a little place where there was uh, frozen uh, ribeye steaks from Canada. They're in very unique packaging. I'd never seen it before. It even had a weird name on it and stuff. But it did have this thing on the label that was, like, get this, it said, this product has survived 40 below weather. And so, you know, why would they put that on there? And that is because of biosecurity. There is an understanding in the mind of the Chinese consumer that if you have 40 below, it kills a lot of bacteria. And that there is, you know, this again represents the notion of purity. And I'm not sure that we particularly push this around here, and it's maybe something we need to be talking about. I I used to be chairman of the board of uh, Big Sky Farms. So we were the largest Hog producer in Saskatchewan, second biggest company in the country. And we had established a, an operation in Iowa, so we had uh, you know the big operations that were headquartered here. Hum, headquarters was Humboldt, and then this Iowa operation. And we stocked the uh, the barns in Iowa with uh, uh, stock that came out of North Carolina, and they were carrying north of forty pathogens in their bloodstream. The ones we were stocking the barns with here had one. I mean, that's forty below. Right, that's biosecurity. That's it, and there's no getting around it. And if you've ever dealt with one of the major commercial hog barns around here, you'll know it's not simple to get in and out. And uh, you know they don't, you just can't go in for a tour. I, I mean, they they're very uh, protective of the environment. So you know, I learned all of this these, these observations coming back from this, and I I thought this notion of what I would consider transformational of moving from processing near the end user to processing at the source of supply is a very profound opportunity for Saskatchewan. And we need to get our head around that from a policy perspective, from a business perspective, and, and you know, having, ha, start having this conversation. But is it starting to happen? Yes. And here's where. In the last year, we've had the announcement of, I don't know, four or five canola crushing plants here. And we've been a player in that for some period of time. Uh, dating back to Ben Torchinsky starting it up in when years ago, uh, to, you know, we've advanced considerably. But now you see Richardson wants to expand, Cargill with a new one, Viterra's talking about uh, having one. There's also the one down near the U.S. border by Ceres. I mean, there's just you know, a string of these things, one after the other. But think about what this means, is that historically we shipped raw canola seed off to an end user who would then squeeze it into, crush it into the oil. And now they're saying, no, we're going to do that right near the source of production. And if all these plants were to come into production and, you know, when they do, you're going to consume some say three quarters of all of the canola output in Saskatchewan. Well, that's significant from a whole level of, you know, many levels. One is there's value added processing happening here, but now we're shipping a more, Refined product than a raw commodity. And you know, someone pointed out to me the oil is 40% of the seed, so that means you'll ship 40% of the volume. 60% will stay behind. That frees up an awful lot of space in rail cars. And what do you do with that? There's an opportunity. Then there's going to be 60% of the product left behind called canola meal. What in, uh, uh, opportunities flow out of that? What kind of processing? Who will be stepping up for that? We have some users here that are relatively small, uh, comparatively speaking. To uh, certainly compared to the volume of production that we have here for canola, but you know there's lots of opportunity that falls out of this. And the next step that you go to from that, and I think back to when uh, James Cameron and, and company came in and they, they built that uh, pea plant with, and Greg Yule partnered up with them at uh, PIC. They're really selling constituent parts of a of, of a seed. So they were going after protein, pea protein, there's fiber. And instead of, uh, instead of selling a raw seed, which is what we've historically done, now you're into the possibility of selling the constituent parts or the ingredients of that seed. Now you're starting to talk serious value add. You're starting to talk serious science and serious economic opportunity because, you know, it's just... You can sell those parts for a much more than, you know, the parts are worth more than the sum of the whole. And we need to get our head around that from a commercial perspective in Saskatchewan and and look at it and say, there is a gift that we have here, which is almost 50% of all the farmland in Canada. And nobody else can do this. I mean, nobody's more well positioned than we are. We have the transportation system in place to get it there. And all we need now is the head of steam from the business community to understand the opportunity. And if that means going and finding that young guy in China and saying, come and let's partner up or whatever, I think those are the things that we need to do. And Saskatchewan, for example, is open, I don't know, six or seven uh, international trade offices now. I, I think that's just spectacular. There's been plenty of criticism of those kinds of things. Oh, it's just a, you know, a way to have you know for cabinet ministers to take joyrides and junkets. No. This province exports. That's what we are all about. Nobody does more trade as a percentage of its economy than Saskatchewan. And Canada is the number one trading nation in the Western world. And this is simple stuff. We have large landmass, small population, don't have a consumer market here, but we're highly Competitive or highly productive, I mean. So we need to export our excess. And uh, when I'm out public speaking, for example, I always put it this way Imagine if Saskatchewan farmers could only sell to Saskatchewan consumers. I mean, uh, 99.5% of the acreage would go out of production because we don't have a market. We have to export. So Let's connect up with those guys. Let's get at that stuff, and let's just uh, you know take this as the next step on our journey towards getting deeper into the value chain and building on something that we're already good at, which is agricultural production. Now let's take it to the next level. So uh, that was the observation of uh, you know spending a week in China and in Shanghai in particular, and that go around. And for me, I came back with a with a different perspective and I think I hoped a broader perspective and one of that that looked at opportunity uh, that could present itself and maybe we just need to be doing what we're doing here today just talking about it and getting people kind of encouraged to say There is the next generation of development to happen in agriculture, and it's not just the technological advances, which we're so good at in farm machinery and in production techniques, but actually to take that knowledge and parlay it into the next step, which is to get into more value added. And if we can get our head around that, I think we could really start to see the Saskatchewan ag sector, you know, rocket forward and and expand dramatically.
0: From the point of view of investment, from the point of view of collectively coming together and believing that this opportunity really does stand before us, because it does, where do you see the lines are in terms of this being business-led or collaborative with uh, the public bodies?
1: Yeah, if you wait for the public bodies to do it, they'll never get a consensus that's required. And if they do get a consensus, it'll be for 10% of what we need to have happen. So it's got to be private sector driven, because they have a different agenda. They don't have election cycles. They don't have to satisfy uh, all sorts of constituents. All they need to do is to satisfy a customer and make it economically viable. So you, you got to satisfy a customer by saying, here's something you want. And by the way, you're going to pay enough for it. You're willing to pay enough for it that it actually makes economic sense. So it has to be driven by the business sector. And that probably is one of the challenges we have, is that our business sector is too small. Uh, we, we don't have enough players here. And, and remember what I said, most of the production historically, this processing and the value-added stuff has happened outside of Saskatchewan. It's always happened close to the end user. We need to figure out a way to convince those people to come here, to establish their next facility closer to the source of supply. And in a world, and and in talking with the likes of uh, Murad El-Khatib from AGT and some of these, you know, they reinforce the point, they drive home the point that if COVID did nothing else for us, it taught us that supply chains are vulnerable. And so if you're an end user, you probably need to have your fingerprint on more of the chain than just waiting and seeing if you can, you know, get the commodity suppliers to drive the price down so that they will ship it to you you know you you really don't get into any kind of collaboration with them it's just a a grinding game you just drive grind down the price and uh, so uh, and and this complex it's complicated by this factor and we tend to forget about this sometimes is that we take a harvest off once a year but the end users need one 12th of that every month and so we got this glut of product in the fall which is very depressing on prices and by spring you know we're short of product because we're waiting for the next harvest to come and so the prices go up that is why a futures market evolved in commodity markets and where are they they're all in chicago there are none in Canada. We used to have the Winnipeg Grain Exchange. It failed. I mean it just we we simply we didn't believe in it because we had been conditioned somehow by governments, public sector agencies mostly around the Canadian Wheat Board, the federal government. Was that oh that's just evil speculators that have control of that? No. It's not evil speculators at all. It's people who need one twelfth of the crop every year and they're prepared to price it out for 12 months in advance and guarantee delivery. Well, it's great for the producer because they say, I know what my price is going to be 10 months from now and I don't have to worry about, you know, running out and then the price goes through the roof or vice versa in the fall when I take in my best ever harvest and I depress the price myself by creating too much supply in my grain bin. So I mean, you know, we need to to be thinking about that. Canada is a major agricultural commodity producer, and we don't have a, a, an exchange, really. I mean, here's one of the uh, the things that that sort of struck me when I was on the board of Big Sky, because we had this U.S. operation when we uh, when we opened up down there. We you know made some banking arrangements, right? You go to the bank in the U.S. if you're a farm, and we were an agricultural producer of hogs. They will not give you an operating account until you show them that you've established a trading account for commodities so that you can hedge your output. In Canada, they will not give you an operating account if you have a trading account Uh, because the Canadian banks don't believe in it. They think it's somehow it's some sort of form of speculation or something. And it's because we train them on the initial price of the Canadian wheat board. That is de facto a hedge, which is exactly what you want from the private commodity market. But the banks here have been taught to believe that that's actually evil and it must come from government. Well, I think the government part's the evil part and that the market has an opportunity to present itself. And, you know, we have a commodities market that functions. I mean, they deliver contracts and product is delivered and contracts are settled and, you know, there it's, it's not some sort of, shell game i mean it really does actually happen and can you speculate in that market absolutely but if you're a producer you can either take or give of the product that's being traded and you're not a speculator anymore you're just looking for a price and so we need to that's maybe part of where we need to be thinking about this as well in canada is how do we sophisticate our market a little bit and uh and so this really starts with you know, from your question, do we need more government or less government? No, we need to erase the government we've already had in our head. We need to get rid of the history and start from a clean slate.
0: Paul, this has been fascinating as ever. And it's lovely to see that there is a clear way forwards. It's not even one of these, you know, Hyperbolic, uh, you know, visions of something or nothing that could be there. It's really a practical step by step. There are clear steps that need to be taken, which gives us a clear pathway forwards. Paul, thank you so much. Not at all, Dan. Thank
1: you very much.
0: Thank you, Paul, and thank you for taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share these insights that power Saskatchewan with your friends and colleagues. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network.